Play with Pain. Hosted by Emmy-winning comedian and writer Jeff Cesario. Interviewing guests from comedy, entertainment, and sports. Plus, legendary sportscaster Chet Waterhouse. Don't worry, this shouldn't take longer than your average trip to Costco. And now, here's your host, Jeff Cesario. Welcome to the podcast, Play With Pain. My guest today, uh, you know how when you watch a talk show, and then they have like the writers act in the sketches, and uh, and a lot of times you go, oh, that's a writer. Uh, but then a lot of times you go, holy crap, that guy was funny. Uh, this is a guy who is funny. And does both killer writer, killer performer. You'll recognize him from uh, sketches on Conan, like uh, the 1940s racist ghost crooner, <laughs> or my favorite, the inappropriate heavy metal guitarist. I think that was you. That was my favorite. Uh, Brian Stack is here. Brian, how are you today? Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. Uh, great to talk to you. And uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, you look, uh, I see the capital of uh, Wisconsin. Uh, blaring yeah. in from right behind you, straight up. That's the shot up State Street, right to the Capitol. That's beautiful. It is, yeah. I, I always love. I really love Madison. I went there for grad school. I know you went there for undergrad, and I, I uh, loved my. I only spent two years there, but I, I feel like I spent like ten years because uh, it's Most where I started. People do. Yeah, it's where I started. I, I can see why people want to live there too. It's uh, it's where I started performing improv and stuff too. So it, it's always been. Uh, I'll always have a soft spot for Madison. I always love to get back. Oh, cool. It's where most people started smoking dope is in Madison. <laughs> yep. and, uh, that can often go hand in hand with improv. Uh, before we get rolling too much chat, do you uh, have an update for us? I have a luxury edition with a leather interior update. Time for the Waterhouse Update sponsored by Blah, 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 the app that listens to the boring part of conversations for you america's pastime no not getting stupid rich and buying a british soccer team baseball suspended padre fernando tatis jr meeting with teammates to apologize kicked it off with a mellow bowl of indica yankees falling apart like a knockoff prada bag during a tsa inspection Houston on a tear, said slugger Jose Altuve. They haven't caught us cheating yet. I mean, we're not cheating this year. And the Dodgers, like the FBI going after that weird box in Trump's golf locker, they just keep coming at you. That wrap-up sponsored by Rev Stiff, the car muffler that makes your wiener feel bigger. NFL, Aaron Rodgers receivers are so young, Dane Cook thinks they're hot. Carolina names Baker Mayfield their star. And progressive insurance breathes a huge sigh of relief. The Giants are the New York team in that they smell like urine. Browns' Deshaun Watson suspended 11 games. That breaks down to about 27 minutes per allegation. That item sponsored by Observasa, the beer that's good for your eyes. Golf! Live tour officials insisted they are not taking Saudi blood money. They held a press conference at this week's tour stop, the Stalin Invitational. NBA! Kevin Durant will stay with the Brooklyn Nets! So that whole thing was more useless drama than daytime television. And finally, oh, this week in sports history, Brian, the year 1934, 
the place Boston, Massachusetts, in one of the most amazing feats in baseball history. Red Sox pitcher Wes Farrell not only hurls 12 innings, but also hits two home runs to beat the White Sox 3-2. Netflix has announced a biopic. In keeping with their casting guidelines, Farrell will be played by Ken Jeong. This Waterhouse Update sponsored by Dick Tucker's Women's Clothes for Men. Back to you, Jeff and Brian. Wow, thank you, Chet. That was um, that was quite a roll through the, uh, the, the today's sports headlines. Yes, thank you, Chad. That was very informative. <laughs> oh, you're welcome, Brian. Anytime, anytime you need me, just call. I'll pop in every now and then with a, hey, that compliment was sponsored by the Dollar Confederate Statue Store. Back to you guys. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about my dog barking, too. <laughs> oh, that was, uh, no, listen, Chet's had to deal with a lot worse than that. <laughs> he gets very scared of any anyone coming near the house and starts starts going going at it there so you're actually in your house because at first i thought uh you're straight up day drinking at a pub. <laughs> i'm sorry yeah i am in well, my house. if he wants to jump on the uh sofa with you uh, <laughs> go ahead let him i'd love to what's his name banjo banjo come on over here <laughs> banjo oh he's the... scared now he's scared he's running <laughs> now away he's scared. Oh. <laughs> that's the way to get him out of the room threaten oh. airtime exactly <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for thanks for your patience. <laughs> so uh, now, so now you're you're back out. You're writing currently on uh, on the uh, the the Late Show with uh, with uh, Stephen Colbert, correct? That's right. Yeah, I was at Conan for 18 years, which is hard to believe. I, I, it's crazy when I think about it that way. I was I was actually supposed to be there, coming in for 13 weeks to fill in for a writer who was out after with a broken leg and. Uh, it turned into 18 years, which is really crazy. But how did um, you get the tip to write for it? Or did you just, was it just a blind submission or did someone on staff go, Brian, you should, you should go for this 13 week gig that turned into 18 years. It was it kind of a combination. Like I, I, some of the guys knew me from Chicago, like uh, Andy Richter and Tommy Blacha, who was the guy who broke his leg and Greg Cohen and um, Brian McCann, who were all working there. And when they knew someone, they wanted someone to come in uh, temporarily, they said, hey, Brian, would you send in a packet to be considered? And it was really nice of them to recommend me because Conan and John Groff, the head writer, did not know me at all. And um, so and then luckily they liked the stuff I was doing during that 13 weeks. And it turned into 18 years, which is really crazy when I think about it. But um, you remember you remember anything from that packet? Oh, you know, it's weird because it one i'm trying to think i had one idea that we uh i think we're poseidon the god of the of the sea was being wheeled out in a tank and humiliated being told being forced to read promotional stuff and like it was it was too impractical like it would have required a big tank and everything but i think one thing i learned from talking to them later on was that they liked when they would look at packets they didn't worry so much about whether they could do ideas. They just like to see how people think and what they think is funny. Right. Like Greg Cohen, great. who got hired there too, said he had a bunch of ideas where Conan looked at it and he said, well, we can't do any of this stuff, but it's funny. <laughs> you know? Right. Oh, and, that's uh, great. Yeah. So, so then it, after 13 weeks, who comes and breaks it to you that you're staying? <laughs> oh, it was really, it was really, it meant a lot. They, they were, saying they weren't sure they'd be able to hang on to me because NBC would have required it required them to sign off on 
having another rider, even when Tommy came back after breaking his leg. Uh, and uh, luckily at the time, NBC was, I think, at the height of their success with like they had friends and Seinfeld and Law and Order. So I probably felt like a drop in the bucket making Writers Guild minimum, you know, like I was like bagel money. So, <laughs> right, right. And uh, folks, for those of you who, who may need a memory jog, Tommy Blotcha was the uh the, the wiener character what was the name of the wiener character yeah the, the gaseous wiener yeah. gaseous wiener <laughs> and, and then um um mccann was um he was always getting shot in the side what was that thing where he was constantly getting shot i remember i shot him in the bulletproof legs bit which <laughs> but was, a uh, bulletproof legs he had bulletproof legs that was it yeah brian did tons <laughs> of bits but that that one was a classic example of how a lot of our favorite stuff came up completely by accident. Cause in the writer's meeting one night, we were waiting for a meeting to start. It was probably like 11 PM. And I was pretending to shoot Brian in the leg when he was sitting next to me. And he started singing that he had bulletproof legs. So I shot him in the chest and he <laughs> fell off the chair dead. And we're like, that could, we could do that tomorrow. Right. Like, and it uh, nothing. It was, it, it, it wasn't something either of us would have thought of on our own. You know, it was just, right. and, and, around the right people as you know if you're around the right people and you're just screwing around i'm sure a lot of your favorite bits have come up just from screwing around and like having the same sensibilities of people around you you know sure that's why you build a room on the premise of is someone funny not are they producing funny stuff in a packet that can be used necessarily tomorrow but do they just think funny are they going to fit into this crazy room of writers so so improv uh comes directly in play here it's it's it comes in handy in a direct way improv is sort of elusive uh for a lot of people to kind of nail down and it always looks like one of those things uh it's like soccer to me it looks like it's more fun to play than it is to watch and a lot of times that's true with improv (laughs) but you you learned a crazy amount of muscles in chicago correct this was the place where you you started in Madison, you said. Yeah, I did my first performing. Uh, I took a beginner class in Chicago when I finished uh, college at Indiana University. And then the, the summer uh, after I finished college, Mick Napier, who became a big legendary director at Second City and founded the Annoyance Theater in Chicago, he told me about Improv Olympic in Chicago, which is now later called I.O. And I took a beginner class there. And then I went off to Madison uh, for grad school and by sheer luck there was this wonderful little improv theater there the arc theater um where uh one of the guys in my first group in madison was actually the late great chris farley and oh, wow. uh so he wow. w- it was such a such a treat to see him even in those early days how brilliant he was and how what a naturally gifted comedian what he was and the effect he would have on regular people even in bars you know you go out in <laughs> madison and he would have that same effect that he later had on everyone on regular people. And you could see people's eyes would just light up around him and everyone could tell he was special, you know? And then I went off to Chicago after a couple of years in Madison, which is my hometown anyway, and started doing improv there at IO and took class at second city and later worked at second city before going to Conan. So I worked as a, I got hired at second city in, uh, and worked there for four years professionally before going to Conan in 97. So this has really, first of all, before I forget, what were you majoring in? What did you go to grad school for that has clearly just been collecting dust 
probably <laughs> on a bookshelf that's about three feet to your left right now. It really had like I, I actually apologized to the chair of the department a, a few years back. I went to back to Madison to do a Q&A for, for uh, students and stuff. And she was so sweet about it. But I said, I apologize. I was always so distracted by the comedy stuff that I I kind of went to grad school for all the wrong reasons. It was communication arts in Vilas Hall there. Sure. Vilas Hall. That was my uh, stomping grounds. Yeah. And I, I, I really I loved my two years in Madison and I loved the people I met there in the grad school and in I've seen, but um, I I was definitely once I got into the improv stuff, that was probably where most of my focus was. I think yeah. five percent of it, and uh, but it was com arts, and um, then when I went off to Chicago, my day job was in advertising for a few years when I was just doing improv for fun and for free. You know, there was no money in it until I worked at Second City, and then there was not much money, but we could get by. <laughs> Did the day job? motivate you to quit it or you know what i mean was it was it like this is rubbing me the wrong way and improv is working at night i gotta figure out a way to monetize improv was it motivational on any level well tell you the truth, it, working in advertising gave me a real appreciation for people who are really good at that and how hard it is to do that well because it it requires <laughs> your ability to you have to give get in all the stuff the client wants and also try to make it entertaining. That's like when I, when I see a good ad to this day, I'm like, wow, they, they jump through a lot of hoops to make this happen. Like if, if I see a good ad, like, like a guy ad or something, you know, a funny, it's funny that a lot of the funniest ads are for insurance, the most unfunny thing <laughs> in the world. <laughs> but it's uh, I, I, it developed an appreciation for it, but I always knew that if I could ever get hired at second city, I would drop anything to do that. Like, and even though I like the people I was working with in advertising, I, my dream was to get work second city. And I didn't really think beyond that at the time. I wasn't thinking about working in, in television or anything like that. I just desperately wanted to work at second city. And, um, why? I think because so many of my heroes had come through there. And because when I would go there, it just felt like as corny as it sounds, I felt like almost like a, a monk wandering in from the desert into a huge, you know, cathedral or something like it felt like, like, you know, that feeling probably with you and you walk into those stand-up clubs where you're like, I'd love to perform here someday. All my heroes have performed. Yeah, I, I do remember distinctly. I've talked about it before. Gary, my producer will vouch for it, that, that w- one of may probably the biggest trigger moment for me was being in a club in Minneapolis, watching stand-up. And I I had like a panic attack. I said, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be up there. Oh. And I had to leave. I had to leave. I literally had to leave. I couldn't take it anymore. So I'm guessing there was some similar drive in you that said, I, even if it's subconsciously, I have the skill set. It seems like I have an affinity for this. I got to dive in. Yeah, I, I know I, that's such a, an amazing story that you told about that, that feeling. Cause I remember having that feeling of, Oh, I, I remember feeling, I would love to do that. That looks so fun. Before I actually tried it, I remember seeing it uh, and thinking that looks so fun. I'm too scared to try it because I'm too scared to find out I'm not good at something I love so much. And right. uh, when I finally tried it in that beginner class uh, at, at IO, I instantly was mad that I hadn't tried it sooner Right. I instantly. <laughs> but yeah. um, I didn't have the confidence at first to think I, I loved it, but I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be any good at this. And um, 
when it turned out to be something that I was suited for, it was a huge relief and, uh, but it made it more fun. And I'm, because I'd had things like growing up where I wanted to be a great athlete and I wanted to, and I'm slow and clumsy and I just, you know, I, I dreamed to be in a, like winning Wimbledon and all this stuff. And incidentally, guys, those are a couple of bad hurdles. If you want to be an athlete that's sponsored by Nugentics, winner pills directly from Ted Nugent. Those come, he just mails them right to you. Okay, go ahead. Didn't mean to interrupt. Ted Nugent, uh, by the way, most famous guy to go to my high school. <laughs> wow. What's your high school? It was St. Viator High School. It was an all-guys high school. in, uh, And it was funny. When I was growing up, wow, that's that's a, that's a third-tier saint there. Yes, saint exactly. Viator. <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember anything about him. But uh, I do remember everybody Patron at the time. saint was, of energy drinks? I don't know. I can't Viator. I'm trying that to- sounds very plausible. Um, <laughs> it was funny because when I was in high school, Ted Nugent was at the height of his fame, too. Like, you know, uh, I graduated in 82 and, like, Everybody thought it was really cool that Ted Nugent had gone there years before. <laughs> sure. And uh, now I'm kind of like, oh, Ted Nugent, geez, what, what do you say now? But um, <laughs> right now they're now they're ripping down Ted Nugent Avenue from the playground. And those signs <laughs> are all gone. <laughs> exactly. Back then, I didn't know anything about his politics. Everybody just knew he was a big rock star. You know, he was like. <laughs> yeah. So things start unfolding for you. You're doing improv in Chicago. You, you started in Madison with the likes of Chris Farley. You moved to Chicago. You've got some pretty strong uh, uh, playground mates at uh, at your improv experience in Chicago at Second City as well. You've worked with some some. I think you worked. Were you there when Colbert was there? He was a little bit. It was funny because the first time I ever saw Stephen perform, I was going to see Farley's first touring company show when he got hired in the second city touring company. And I was so excited for Chris and I wanted, I went to go see his first show. And in that cast was Steven and, wow. and Paul Danella, who works with me now too at, at our show. And uh, Ian Gomez was in that, who's been in tons of stuff and Rose Abdu, who's been in tons of stuff and Jenna Jolovitz. And there was just a great group. Um, but I later, when I got into touring company, Steven was in the main stage cast with Steve Carell and Amy Sedaris and, uh, but I came up when I was touring, I got to tour. My wife, Miriam was in my touring company who was a blast to, to tour with. And, um, Adam McKay, you know, who's now a big sure. director and, and Amy Poehler. Tremendous and writer and performer. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Adam's wow. a, Adam's one of the most brilliant, naturally, uh, funny people I've ever met. And, um, yeah, Dave Keckner came up with us and Rachel Dratch and Pat Finn and wow. Susie Nakamura. And, um, then you got like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler came in. They started touring as we were starting to get into the resident companies and, but they, they did some shows with us too. And th- there was just so many wonderful people. Uh, Neil Flynn was in our cast and, uh, you know, who's that's on- impressive. So the touring company sounds like, uh, I had a mildly parallel experience in Minneapolis, um, with the Dudley Riggs touring company and the Dudley oh, yeah. Riggs, um, um, main stage company, the touring company goes out mostly regionally and uh, tours with the show and with a, a chunk of a giant chunk of actual improv and plays colleges or uh, community theaters or things like that. Usually, is that correct? The same for a second. A lot of uh, community theaters. We play a lot of colleges. Um, like we got to go back and do a show at, at university of Wisconsin 
I wanted Indiana University too. So it was going back to the old schools. That was especially sure. fun. And, uh, but it was, uh, we did a lot of college, a lot of little small towns. And it would really vary. Like we would do some shows where there'd be, you know, 1500 people full house. And then you'd go to another show. Like we did one at a place called Husson College in Maine. And we walked and we said, where are we performing? And they said, it's in here. And it was this little classroom. And we said, where are the lights? And the guy flips the light switch on the wall. And we're like, where's the, do, do people know we're coming? And they said, uh, we put up a flyer. And so oh, that's great. That is so over great. The dorm. Yeah. We had to go over to the dorm and say, anybody want to see a show? Oh, I think wow. six guys came over. And so it was a, it was a real spectrum of, uh, yeah. So there are nights when you feel like, man, I am in show business. Right. And then the very next night you realize show business is so fragile. You, you go to a place that doesn't even have a lighting or a sound focus. They don't even have, uh, you know, um, banana pallets on the floor for a stage. And you realize, oh, this whole thing can unravel in a heartbeat. Yeah, you're always like one hair away from puppet show and spinal tap. You know, it's just always like, you're always like, but then you do a show at, that would just, uh, we'd go to a show at like in Colorado in a little ski town where you're not expecting anything and have just the, best crowd you've ever had like yeah. a little you know little ski town theater and um so you never knew what it was going to be but touring was so fun because most of the time as you know if you're touring as a stand-up or like i the only touring i did was for a couple years with with this group but um 95 of the time you're not on stage so you're just riding in vans and adam you know guys like mckay would just be doing bits constantly <laughs> and it was so entertaining you know to just sit back and and watch them go like he would do i shared an apartment with my now wife Miriam him in dallas when we did a month of shows there and it was just nonstop bits and um and as you know that's that's most of the fun when you're touring because otherwise you'd go nuts if you uh yeah if it was just because it's it's so much more than the shows you know yeah absolutely that life uh is not only inspirational on a level this is kind of what I've always wanted to do. This is the dues paying um, um, period of what I've always wanted to do. But also, it's just there's a there's a foxhole camaraderie there. Nobody else is living through this. <laughs> we're not only living through it, we're making hay off it. We're being funny because we have to to survive, you know, the truck stop in Denton, Texas, when the van broke down or or the six person show in you know some obscure place in maine or wherever it, it's so much fun that uh and you know you're going to look back even when you're living it i believe you know you're going to look back on it and go man that was fantastic absolutely that's so well said jeff because it's like and it's and it's why i think you form such incredibly close friendships and uh with these people that last the rest of your life because you're, you are in the trenches with these people depending on each other. And as corny as that sounds like you're is like foxhole mentality. Totally. Yeah. And you know, uh, to, to borrow the phrase, people who then make it to any level, let alone make it big, trust that first group of friends because they know, Oh, they, they, they took a shell to the chest for me one night. Yeah, in Ely, Oklahoma, you know, (laughs) I know if I turn and I'm in a blinding blizzard of panic, that person's going to be there with me. 
And, and that is is the kind of I guess you'd call it networking now. That's just priceless in show business. It is. And it, it really, that's so true. And like, I can't tell you, like I mentioned, like I got the opportunity to submit for Conan from people who knew me from Chicago and what it is most of the time. And, and I, I often think about like Colbert recommended Corral for the daily show, you know, uh, Adam McKay hired Tina Fey to write at SNL. Wow. Uh, Tina reached back and said, Jack McBrayer, I want to put him in 30. And, and it's, it's people who, know your work from another place recommending you to people who don't know your work that just don't know you're good. And, and, but you, you do reach back for the people you trust that you came up with in those trenches because you know, as you said, they take a shell for you and you know who you can count on and you know who, uh, who you trust and who you think is funny. And yeah. And it's based on that. It's based on that. It's based on who, you know, is funny and who, you know, is funny in virtually the worst possible environments. <laughs> that's perfectly put. Yeah, that's it. If you can, if you can laugh off a really bad show in Lima, Ohio, you know, yeah. where, you know, and uh, I just remember we did some shows in Lima and actually they I think they were pretty fun. But I just remember there was like, uh, there, there were, there were some along the way though, where so much of our bonding would come through shared misery over like we did a show in Vegas that was almost completely silent from the audience. Um, and we were laughing so hard because we knew it wasn't our fault. Because, like, sometimes it is. Sometimes you're just off. You no, know? that's like doing Sunday Mass in the infield of a NASCAR race. It's just the wrong venue, improv in Vegas. It's just wrong. It is. The guy came up to us, I swear, right after the show, and he goes, sorry, guys, I guess they wanted booze and strippers. <laughs> and we're like, oh, I guess... I guess so. And, yeah, uh, we knew so that, that was, 30 seconds in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I actually burst out laughing on stage during that show because there was a line, uh, an old Colbert line from a scene we were doing as a touring company, and it killed everywhere. It killed with old people, young people, college students, you know, conservatives, liberals. It always killed. And I said it, and it got nothing, and I just started laughing on stage because we were so screwed that it's just funny. You know? Yeah. <laughs> So screwed. Babe Ruth with his big bat struck out. Nothing happened that night. I, yeah. And there are other times where it's you feel like you're just off or the group's off and we're just having a bad night. But there are other nights where you can kind of just. In- Stephen said that one of uh, Colbert said that one of the directors at Second City told him you have to learn to love the bomb. You know, you, you have to learn to love it because it's going to happen and um, you have to kind of enjoy it because. And it, it hurts when you think you're just off and you're just not delivering. But there are other times where the circumstances are so out of your absurd. control. Yeah, they're just so absurd. Yeah. You know, exactly. I, I remember walking into a stand-up gig once um, down a hallway. Uh, it was a rock and roll and strip club in uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And I, I just and it for some reason it was it was like like a like a NASA entrance ramp or something it was it seemed like a hundred yards long just to enter the front door and until you got to the club and there's like and all i see it's like it's like a blue liquor monday nights slippery nipple night tuesday it was just <laughs> shots and booze advertising all the way into the thing and i thought oh my god this is going to be horrible and it was a great gig it was a great gig. They just That's came awesome. ready. I got them early. I got them seven at night before they got too liquored up. But it was still, you just never know on the road. And when you're working with others on the road, 
I can imagine that just becomes a bond you just never, ever forget. I'm, it really does. And I'm sure you've had the same thing. And I, I gotta say, Jeff, I have the highest admiration for guys like you who've done stand up, which I've never done because the idea of going on stage by yourself when you don't know what's coming is sounds so much more terrifying than like I go up there and I, I'm going up there with a platoon, you know, right. (laughs) You're like Audie Murphy out there taking the machine gun nest by yourself. Yeah. But the flip side of that, honestly, is because of that, a stand up can't really professionally get comfortable with the bomb or he's just never working. Oh, so, so I never got comfortable. There are guys who are, I just never got comfortable with it. I had a fifth gear. I could jam it in and do material that I knew would, you know, play to the lowest common denominator because I wanted to generally come back for a paycheck in nine to 12 months at the same room. So, (laughs) you know, so, and and I think that is a downside. And then the other downside people, I don't think understand about acting or sketch is you're making somebody else's words funny that terrifies the shit out of me i know i can make my words funny because i've worked them and i've tried them and whatnot but when somebody hands you something and i mean i've read stuff and gone i i i have this just isn't funny to me and i'll hear somebody else do it and they make it funny that that is a skill that i I don't know how you get that i don't know you have to have something in you that goes okay let me manipulate this dialogue a different way without changing the words. I, I don't know how you do it. it. It's, it is an interesting, uh, there is an interesting difference there. That's a good point. Cause, um, and I, I know like not having been a trained actor, like I came out of improv, just pure improv originally. I've always developed, uh, you know, a lot of respect for people that have that kind of acting technique to fall back on. Like Neil Flynn was one of the guys I asked once when we were working at second city, I said, Hey Neil, you know, all that training you've done, like he did shows at Steppenwolf and Goodman and did a lot of dramatic plays. And I said, is there stuff you've gotten from that that you didn't get from improv? And he said, it helps on the nights when I'm not into it. <laughs> I remember thinking, so he had a, he had a technique, like you, you just described your ability to shift into that gear right. where you just, you can still deliver the goods, even if you're not feeling it or inspired. <laughs> even if all you're thinking about is getting back to the budget tell and watching sports center yeah exactly and i I think that neil was saying something similar there where his acting technique allowed him to kind of push through and deliver even when his heart wasn't in it and i remember thinking that's that's a really good thing to be able to fall back on you know